All right, well, tonight we are in week two of our teaching series called This Is Us. And if you consider your, yourself to be a part of the student ministry, then you are also a part of, of Bell Shoals. And here at Bell Shoals, we have something that we call our staff DNA. All right, our staff DNA. These are seven qualities that our staff team here at Bell Shoals want to be about. These are qualities that, that we want to embody. In fact, these qualities are, are so important to us that in our staff meetings every month, we actually have pop quizzes on them. I'm sad to say that just because you think you're done with school when you're 26 doesn't mean that you're done taking quizzes. Also, we have a sign that hangs in our office to keep those staff values, those, those core things that we want to be about right in front of us every day. But here's the thing. These values aren't just important to us because we work at, at Bell Shoals. These values are important to us because we're followers of Jesus. In fact, these are our values. These are qualities that, that we want to be about. It, it applies to every single one of us in this room. And these qualities and characteristics, they are things that we should strive for to, to live out in our everyday life. And so our hope for, for this series is that as we begin to, to unpack some of these qualities, some of these staff DNA, that we would understand the importance of them and begin to embody them not only as followers of Jesus, but also as a student ministry this year. Last week, Lewis kicked off our, our teaching series by talking about having a passion for people. A passion for people. You know, as followers of Jesus, we need to have a, a drive, a, a conviction for other people. A drive that pushes us to, to love them and to care about them, even when they're different than us, even when they're difficult. And this passion for people is really rooted in our passion for the gospel. It's rooted in our passion to want to see other people come to know Jesus, to want to see people walk with the Lord for the rest of their life. Well, tonight we're gonna talk about our, our second quality, our second quality, and that quality is a spirit of humility, a spirit of humility. Now, I want us to just stop right there for a minute, all right? I want us to just stop right there for a minute. How many of you have ever heard of the word humility? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the, the word humility. All right, I want you to look around. It's the, the majority of you in this room. Whether you have grown up going to church every single day of your life, or maybe tonight is the very first time that you've ever stepped foot in a church, we're all pretty familiar with that word. Like, we know what it means, and we've heard people talk about it before. But here's the thing. Humility often gets a bad rap. Humility often gets a bad rap. And here's why. Because I don't think we actually know what it means. I don't think we actually know what it means. It's something that, that we talk about all the time. It's something that, that we're familiar with. But do we actually know what that word means? Depending on, on who you ask, you'd probably get a, a different definition. Depending on who you ask, you might get different examples of, of what 
humility looks like. And unfortunately, this has led to a lot of misconceptions and false ideas about what humility really is. Here's just a few few examples. First of all, many people see humility as mediocrity. All right, mediocrity is just a big word that simply means average or ordinary. Sadly, many people think that in order to to be considered humble, you have to be mediocre. You're not the the best at something, but you're certainly not the the worst at it. You're just kind of average. You're just kind of stuck in the middle. You don't want to draw attention to yourself or stand out for fear of being considered prideful. You don't want to be in the spotlight, and unfortunately, that can lead to a lack of success and a lack of ambition. Here's another one. Other people often view humility as as self-deprecation. Unfortunately, this is a a pretty common one. People feel that they have to, to minimize their accomplishments and achievements. They feel like they have to, to put themselves down in order to be considered humble. A lot of times you'll see this play out in people who make those really awkward and uncomfortable jokes about themselves. They're the people who talk really negatively about themselves and they point out those negative qualities in order to deflect attention. They'll dismiss any type of praise, any type of recognition and not consider it a a big deal. Finally, some, some people also consider humility as being a doormat. A lot of people look at humility as as being a a doormat. We all know what a doormat is. It's the thing that that you walk over when you go into your house that you wipe your shoes on. And many people think this is what humility looks like. That in order to, to be considered humble, you have to let people walk all over you. You have to let people take advantage of you. And all you have to do is just sit back and keep your mouth shut and let others do what they want. And and here's the the sad thing. Unfortunately, culture really does not help with this problem. We live in a world that does not value humility. I want you to think about the, the people that you look up to in the media. Think of your favorite athletes your favorite celebrities, your, your favorite influencers. If I were to, to ask you to, to describe those people, to give me some, some qualities that, that those people represent, most likely humility is not going to be a word that you use to describe them. Because humility is often looked at as a weakness. It's looked at as a sign of, of weakness. And let's be real, none of us want to be considered weak. None of us want other people to to look at us and think that we're weak. But you see, none of these things are true biblical humility. It might be how society defines it. It might be how our culture views humility, but it's not how God defines it. It's not how how God sees humility. And so for the rest of tonight, I want us to answer this question, and it's going to be on the screen behind me. What is a spirit 
of humility? What is a spirit of humility? What does this look like? What does it mean to have a spirit of humility? To answer that question, we're going to look at a story found in, in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at a story where Jesus provides us a real-life example of what true humility looks like. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, I want you to open up to, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and in verse 1, our story starts out like this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave his world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. All right, so let me just set the, the stage for, for what's happening right here. Jesus' time on earth is coming to an end. Jesus' time on earth is coming to an end. In a matter of hours, one of Jesus' own disciples is going to betray him. He's going to hand him over to, to the Roman officials. And in a matter of hours, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to go on trial. And eventually, he's going to be crucified. He's going to be put to death. And as the, the disciples are gathering with Jesus, this is really one of the last times that they're going to be together in the same room. This is one of the last times that they're going to be able to, to share a meal together. And so I want you to, to put yourself in, in Jesus' shoes for a minute. I want you to imagine how he's feeling right now. These disciples, these are his people. These are the people that he has spent the, the last three years of, of his ministry with. They have been side by side with him as he's taught, as he's healed, as he's performed miracles. These are the people that he's invested the most in. These are the people he loves, he cares about. And this is one of the, the last times that they're going to be together. This is one of the, the last opportunities that he's going to have to instruct them and to pour into them. And so he uses this time to, to teach them a very powerful lesson. In verse 4, So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, I know it seems weird to us. I know it seems weird to, to us, but foot washing was actually very common in Bible times. This was something that would not have been strange at the time. Because think about it, the, the primary way that people often traveled back then was by foot. If you wanted to get from point A to, to point B, you were going to be walking. There were no planes, there were no trains, there were no cars. And at the time, roads did not look like they did now. You didn't have concrete roads. The roads were gravel and they were dust. And so you can imagine that as you're traveling from, from point A to, to point B, your feet are going to get dirty. They're going to get smelly. They're going to get stinky. 
And so it was customary at the time that whenever you would enter someone's home, your feet would be washed. It was a sign of respect for the person's home that you were entering. And this job of foot washing, it was really reserved for for servants. No one of, of high stature or high authority would have ever been caught dead washing someone's feet. This job would have been considered beneath them. It would have been considered dirty. This was the job that no one literally wanted to do. Yet Jesus willingly volunteers. Although he would have been considered of of high stature, although he would have been considered of high authority, he washes the disciples' feet. He takes off his outer coat. He wraps it around his waist. He gets down on his hands and knees, and one by one, he goes around the room, and he washes the disciples' feet. In verse 6, he came to to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Simon Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, let me put this into perspective for you, all right? I want you to imagine that you and your friends are going out for for a nice dinner, all right? You guys are going out for a nice dinner. You roll up to to Chick-fil-A. I know Chick-fil-A is not nice, but just work with me, all right? You roll up to Chick-fil-A. You go through the line. You order your number one with honey mustard and a sun joy, or a Diet Coke, if you love Jesus, and you're getting ready to to sit down and enjoy your meal. You've got your honey mustard in front of you, you've got your Chick-fil-A sauce in front of you, and just as you're getting ready to take that first bite, the President of the United States walks in. Please keep your political opinions to yourself. All of a sudden, all right, okay, come on, come on, come on. All of a sudden, the president of the United States walks in, all right? He's got the secret service behind him. They're talking into their weird walkie-talkie things. And all of a sudden, you realize that he is walking right up to your table. He is coming right for you. And before you realize it, before you realize it, he's taken off his, his, his suit jacket. He gets down on his hands and knees. And he begins to wash your feet. All right, let this sink in. Come on. Now, all right, come here. Come back, come back. Now, if you're anything like me, I would be very uncomfortable. Extremely uncomfortable, actually. 
But can you imagine how confused and uncomfortable you would feel in that moment? (laughs) That's the point. You would feel extremely uncomfortable and extremely confused. And listen to me, this is exactly how Simon Peter is feeling in this moment. Here is, is Jesus, this celebrity, this person who is the savior of the world, who's performed countless miracles. He's taught to, to thousands of peoples. Here he is kneeling down in front of the disciples and washing their feet. You can imagine how, how confused Simon Peter is. You can imagine how uncomfortable he is. No wonder he, he reacted the, the way that he did. Because Jesus, he, he was not supposed to do that. He wasn't supposed to do it. Look in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and, and re, he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. What is Jesus talking about here? What is Jesus talking about here? Yes, Jesus is talking about the the physical act of, of foot washing, but he's also talking about something so much deeper. He's modeling for for the disciples that humility is not just about what you do, it's about who you are. The physical act of, of foot washing is an outward example of an inward attitude. Jesus's actions, they were a, a representation of his heart. You know, so often we view humility in terms of, of what we do. We view humility in terms of, of our actions. We hold the door open, we pay for someone's lunch, we, we give someone a compliment, and because we do these things, we think that, that we're humble. We think that, that we're showing humility that we're serving that, that other person. But if we're honest, on the inside, there's an attitude of, of pride. There's an attitude of, hey, I want people to know I just did that. I want people to, to look at me and to see how great I am. Inwardly, we're hoping that, that someone will notice and think highly of us. But listen, there's going to come a point where you just can't fake it anymore. There's going to come a point where where you just can't fake it anymore. You're going to get tired of holding the the door open for people who don't say thank you. You're going to stop paying for your friend's lunch 
because they never cover yours. You're going to stop handing out compliments at school because you never get them in return. At some point, your actions, they're going to begin to match your heart. Because it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. You see, students, a, a spirit of humility, a, a spirit of humility is the correct understanding of who God is in relation to who we are. A spirit of humility is the correct understanding of who God is in relation to, to who we are. You see, Jesus' spirit of humility, it did not come from, from his actions. It didn't come from, from washing the, the disciples' feet. His spirit of humility was rooted in his correct understanding of who God is. You see, Jesus understood full well that God was his father. And God had specifically sent him into the world to, to serve others. Not only through, through his earthly ministry, like his teaching and his miracles, but ultimately through death on the cross. I want you to, to listen to how Paul describes it in, in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 5 he says this, And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, to, to have a spirit of humility, we must have a correct understanding of who God is. We have to stop seeing God as just this, this distant figure that, that's up in the sky looking down on us. We have to stop seeing God as this vending machine that we go to whenever we want something or whenever we need a, a prayer answered. We need to begin to see God for who he really is, for who he really is. He's our heavenly father who desires a personal relationship with each of us, who loves us so much that, that even though we're sinners, he sent his own son down from heaven into the world to die a painful, horrific death on the cross, all so that we could be made right with him. And listen, when we finally begin to see God for who he really is, when we actually understand the weight of what Jesus did, we finally see how undeserving we are, how completely undeserving that we are. 
And our only response should be that of a spirit of humility. Because listen, it's not about anything that you or I have done, but what God has done for us. So as we close out tonight, we're gonna do something a little bit different. We're gonna sing one of my favorite songs. It's called Son of Suffering. And this song, it talks specifically about who God is. That we don't have a God that is distant or removed or that is not part of our life. In fact, we have a God who modeled for us what a spirit of humility looks like. He humbled himself and met us right where we were in the middle of our brokenness. So let's stand and worship together. <laughs>